Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Joe Porter. In the program this week, we talk to the All Blacks coach Graham Henry about the pain of the 2007 World Cup defeat to France as the All Blacks gear up for their Pool A clash with Le Bleu at this year's Rugby World Cup. We hear from the Wellington Phoenix new owners after the financially troubled Terry Serapisos relinquished control of the football club. We speak to outgoing New Zealand cricket boss Justin Vaughan about why he quit the top job. We measure the mood of the Warriors camp with prop Sam Rapira ahead of the Auckland club's National Rugby League preliminary final final against the Storm in Melbourne, and we catch up with New Zealand tennis player Marina Arakovic as her season draws to a close. The All Blacks get their first real test of the Rugby World Cup when what looks like close to their top side plays France and Auckland on Saturday night. Eden Park will also be the scene of Richie McCaw's injury postponed 100th test, and the head coach Graham Henry says his captain's now the most experienced All Blacks skipper. We had a, a preview last week the press conference for the 100th test and uh, he's a special player and a special man and inspirational to the country. Not only inspirational to this rugby team but an inspiration to New Zealanders. Because he's a, he's a world class player, I think he's been the IRB player of the year on three occasions, am I right? Yep. Which has never happened before, I don't, I don't think anybody's had two occasions. I managed to slip through there without a hitch. He's brave and he's highly intelligent and he's an inspiration to the players he plays with. So he's a special man. The French aren't at full strength, prompting some speculation they'd be happy to finish second in Pool A to avoid the Tri-Nation sides in the knockout phase. But, as Graham Henry says, the French starting 15 still has 642 test caps and there's plenty of experience and talent on the bench too. Meanwhile, Henry says the All Blacks haven't watched the 2007 quarter-final loss, but there'll be an appropriate time to do so before the knockout phase. He says although the Cardiff match was four years ago, the players can still learn plenty from it. Before we went into 2007 Rugby World Cup, we had a philosophy that we'd, we'd concentrate on one game at a time. And we'd done that in Grand Slam tours and had, had success doing that. So we didn't talk Grand Slam at all, we just talked about the next opposition and preparing correctly. I think Rugby World Cups are quite different. I think teams generally play at a lot higher standard than they normally play in, in normal test matches, play with more emotion, um, play with more physicality. And you get this huge emotion out there and, and teams playing on that emotion and I think that you've got to prepare for that. And you can't prepare for that by looking at one game at a time and just concentrating on your performance for Saturday. You've got to go back and look at those, those occasions. And those occasions have had, ended up on the wrong side of the ledger and a lot of pain for some people. We don't want to go through that pain again. On the subject of pain, Graham Henry isn't as keen to gloat as many New Zealanders have been since Australia's shock loss to Ireland set the Wallabies on course for a quarter-final clash with South Africa. I enjoyed watching the game. My oldest son went to the game. I, I rang him the next day and 
he said it was an outstanding occasion, probably the best sporting occasion he's ever been to. And I thought, well, that's an interesting statement from a New Zealander. <laughs> but no, I think it was, a, it was a great game of football and it just shows you that any side in this competition in the top 10, for example, can get up and, and do the business because the Australians are a very fine rugby side. And the Irish are a very experienced team with a lot of talented players. And I just think it just shows that you, you've got to expect the unexpected because I don't think they were expected to win. Their form going in wasn't great. But they played outstanding rugby in that particular game. And, and as a, a bit of a rugby fanatic, I enjoyed watching the game and how it evolved. You know, and I thought the, the Irish played particularly well. And hopefully they don't, if we have to play them, they don't play that well again. Because they were quite outstanding. I know that the Aussies have got a bit of stick, but I don't think the, the Irish have got enough praise for what they did in that particular day, because they played the game particularly well. The All Blacks trained in Christchurch earlier in the week, and Henry says the visit to his earthquake-ravaged hometown has had a big impact on the whole team. The players were inspired by being there. I noticed the Christchurch people are saying they were inspired by the All Blacks, but I think the reverse is, is also, was also true. Uh, what those people have gone through down there has been something you can't, you can't really imagine, I wouldn't think. And they've shown a huge amount of backbone. And that's been inspirational to this group of people. Like, I probably shouldn't get into Canterbury, but I would say it's the backbone of this country in sport. And they've shown that for a long time. And I think the All Blacks can take that with them for the rest of this World Cup. Graham Henry. The financially troubled Wellington businessman Terry Serapisos has finally relinquished control of the Wellington Phoenix Football Club, giving up his A-League football licence. Football Federation Australia, which runs the A-League competition, has granted a group of Wellington-based investors, led by investment banker Rob Morrison and including high-profile economist Gareth Morgan, a new five-year licence for the club. Sarah Pisos has run the club since 2007, but mounting debts of over $200 million have forced his hand. The new consortium are called Wellnix, and Stephen Hewson asked Chairman Rob Morrison if he ever saw himself being the owner of a football club. Well, I'm not the owner, uh, so there's, there's a group of people who are involved. You've got a part share, though. I've got a part share, that's right, uh, and, and that's the extent of it. I mean, we've got uh, seven people in the consortium, and we all have equal shares. How long did it take to get together? Uh, not long at all, actually. There are a number of Wellingtonians who were prepared to back the Phoenix. Um, I think that side of it was, uh, was relatively straightforward. Um, once... Uh, we'd been approached, and we went approached together. But different people made different approaches. Once, once we had those, that approach, it was actually relatively easy to find um, uh, some, or to, 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 to put together the support. Uh, there, are, there are lots of passionate Wellingtonians, and people could see the advantage of having the Phoenix staying here in Wellington. What are the advantages, as far as you're concerned? I think that uh, Phoenix fits part of the fabric of the city. I mean, uh, this is a great 
a great city, Wellington. It's um, to me, it's a perfect sort of size, and having its uh, its own football club with the with the fan base that it's got is, is quite representative, I think, of Wellington. It's, it's vibrant. Uh, yeah, the, the, you go to the Phoenix game and, and watch the fans. It's vibrant. It's noisy. It's loud. Um, we don't always win, but we're always in there. And uh, so, so, yeah, I think the Phoenix is, is is great as part of Wellington, and certainly the motivation for for the group was to ensure that the, the, the Phoenix, the Phoenix, did stay in Wellington. Is the goal to turn a profit or to break even? The goal is to get the club uh, standing on its own two feet. The goal is to make is to get the club sustainable, uh, to ensure that the club can internally generate capital, and that capital can be reinvested in the club uh, and let the club grow. Um, there's no profit motivation from from uh, the people in the consortium. That, that's absolutely clear. Our motivation is absolutely about Wellington. Um, uh, so, you know, in terms of the club itself, what, what we need to make sure is that, and, and hopefully we can do this, and everyone's experienced, um, is to is to get the club standing on its own two feet. Because I mean, the, the financial problems of the club and Terra Terra Pisos are obviously well, well documented, and, and A League clubs generally uh, struggle to even break even. Mm. I think um, with any professional sporting franchise, you have to separate out the clubs from from the owners, and I'm not talking specifically about the Phoenix here, but you can look at it any number of examples around the world. I'm, I'm a Liverpool fan, and uh, you can see that Liverpool has been through a lot of different ownership uh, over the last few years, and, and a lot of the issues relating to Liverpool have been to do with what's been happening off the field, not on the field. It'd be better if they played better on the field, but uh, but nevertheless, that, that does impact them. So I think at times the, the models, and you can see this in the A-League as well, is that the, the A-League model's not necessarily wrong. It's been more to do with the off-field issues around the owners than it has been with the on-field issues and the clubs. Players, coaches, where's their future now like? Well, uh, um, Ricky's going to uh, do a press conference later today, but um, I, I spoke with him briefly this morning. He's very excited. Uh, he's, he, he is passionate and keen about the Phoenix, and he's a good Wellingtonian, and he wants to stay and, uh, and help the club develop. So from our point of view, that's fantastic. Uh, he's close to, 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 to signing a full roster, um, and, uh, and the players, uh, I think, have had their heads down working hard, and, uh, and they really are focused on kicking off a successful season. Have you had a chance to talk to Ricky and the players? Uh, I've spoken to Ricky, I haven't spoken to the players. And kickoffs obviously only a few weeks away. Yeah. It's, I suppose, uh, coming in at this short notice, how much impact does that have? Well, it doesn't impact the, uh, so much Ricky or the players. They've been working through their process, um, they've been training, they've been having their pre season games, so, so I, I don't think that um, is an impact for them. Uh, hopefully what the, the issuance of the new licence and uh, the backing for the club, hopefully what that will do now is, is galvanise supporters. Um, hopefully we'll see a lot of people now saying, OK, let's, let's buy some memberships, let's buy some tickets, let's get in there and support the club, and, and hopefully that will take it forward. But I think it's not necessarily a, a change, an overnight change as far as the players or the coaches are concerned. They've had their programme, they've been training. It's like they haven't stopped training, they've been doing the pre-season games, they're focused on starting the season the professional footballers and that's what they want to do they want to get out and play football So, oh, I suppose though the uneasiness and the nervousness as to the future of the club if any fears they I'm, have I'm may sure, be left I'm sure it, 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 it may have played on, on their minds from time to time but uh, the reality is that hopefully it's now gone Rob Morrison
The chief executive of New Zealand cricket, Justin Vaughan, has resigned after almost five years in the role. The former New Zealand international took up the job in early 2007 and says there are two main reasons he's leaving. The first is the need for the chief executive to be someone who can commit through to the co-hosting of the Cricket World Cup of 2015, and the second is that the intense travel requirements have become too much with a young family. Vaughan will step down at the end of November with the recruiting process to find his replacement beginning immediately. Stephen Hewson spoke to Vaughan about his decision to step down. To be honest, probably about the last two or three months, I've been really thinking quite hard about it. About um, uh, th- This is a role which is really demanding and requires a lot of your time, even when you're based in New Zealand, it's, it's sort of a 24-7 job. You operate on multiple time zones. You're needing to do a lot of work with the subcontinent, um, with Australia, uh, and to a lesser degree the UK. And, and so they don't work during New Zealand normal hours. And then there are, there are always the, the weekend requirements where the unexpected happens and perhaps media calls come in. And so when you're at home, it's, it's pretty demanding and then there's a lot of overseas travel and that that is part of the job and and I fully accept that I enjoy it but it is something that I couldn't see myself doing forever I've got a a family that are growing up quickly uh, and I really wanted to be able to spend some time with them so I guess over the last two or three months I've been sort of thinking about well when would be a, a reasonable time to depart both on a personal front but also from a business perspective and I think from a New Zealand cricket perspective, I was very conscious that a new CEO needed a year or two before the really important hosting of Cricket World Cup in 2015 took place. So so to me, getting a CEO in place um, perhaps at the end of this year or the very start of 2012 was about the right run-in period that, that they would need uh, to be able to shape the organisation to take full advantage of, of our hosting of the World Cup. Going into the job, were you prepared for, for what was you've faced over the past four and a half years? I think it's a job that's quite unlike any other job. Um, I don't think, you know, having come from outside of sport, uh, sports management anyway, I don't think you fully appreciate the the level of, um, you know, the, the, the huge variety of stakeholders that you interact with um, and the... The, the really the fact that the the job never sleeps that that you don't get a lot of downtime it always seemed to be that whenever I was on holiday something happened um, and so yeah I don't I don't think I was really ready for that certainly sport I'd been on the board of New Zealand cricket I understood the fundamentals of the business and how it operated um, but I don't think until you're in it that you fully get uh, the demands of the role that people are coming at you from every angle. Yeah, yeah, and you can't you can't please everyone, and that's you know that's a fact of life. You can't please everyone all the time, but you've got you know quite um, you know people with very strong opinions, uh, and you've got a wide um, a wide variety of stakeholder groups, all who have uh, you know a basis for their own position, who believe they ought to be heard and agreed with. But when you're running the organisation, you can't you can't agree with everyone all the time. How difficult did you find that? I mean, do you, are you a naturally decisive person or a naturally consultative person, looking to please most of the people most of the time? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm naturally probably quite decisive. I tend to form a view quite quickly and believe that that's the right course of action, and then go down that path. 
Um, I guess over the period of the last four or five years, I think I've become more consultative um, by requirement, really, uh, because you are more than a normal business role. I think the CEO of a national sporting organisation is more of a, for want of a better term, a servant role. Um, you know, you are serving the game. Um, you're a guardian of the game in this country. You, there is a leadership role, definitely, but there's a balance between you know, being able to assert your individual beliefs and leadership uh, versus the requirements of being able to honour the, the legacies and traditions and the various stakeholders of the game. How do you cope with all the, the vitriol that comes with it? Because there has been a fair bit that you've had to cop. Very early on, I understood that um, that comes when, particularly when the national team isn't winning, and it's it's a sign of how much people care. I am, to a degree, flattered by it, that, that people care and are so passionate about the sport in this country. They get really upset when the Black Caps don't win consistently, and they want... They they just want it so badly that they will you know they will speak out and and that's I think that's a really good sign for the sport I mean I think you need to be prepared for that um, as the CEO and particularly with cricket we have never in our history really had sustained periods of success we are trying to now build a new structure and a platform that will allow that to happen but you know, Black Caps performances have been up and down over the decades and. You know, when it is down, people people want to know how it's going to be remedied, and they they want answers, and they want you know people accountable for that. And I'm fully up for that. I can't, as the CEO, really make the batters score more runs or the bowlers take more wickets, but I can I can be the person at the at the helm of the ship. Must be pretty hard though, because a lot of it is personal. And I mean, if you if you look at some of the comments, you must surely go and dismiss them as well. Some of them is nutters. <laughs> Oh look, they've all every and the fact that people maybe do get that upset when, after all, yeah. it, it is a sport, and you it think and you think, yeah. well, surely you've got something better in your life to to be going on with. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, but I mean, I know how much I love sport. I don't get quite so carried away with wins and losses, but I mean, I love sport and what sport stands for, and I know that that you know, New Zealand is such a special country because of our real affinity with sport, and you can't. You can't have that passion for sport and not have it spill over in certain areas, which, you know, you look back and you think, well, that was just a bit meaningless or, you know, what, why are people being quite so vitriolic? But, but it's perfectly understandable. And I, listen, I, I as the CEO, you, you, you ex, well, you have to accept that that is just part of the job and part of the job is to have thick skin, to accept that people are passionate and want, um, you know, they want people to blame sometimes, and, and that's fine. I accept that and take it on the chin. Are you thicker skins now than, than what you were? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I, maybe a little. Um, but it isn't in my nature, really, to be terribly stung by personal criticism if I'm if I'm sure of myself and my decisions, then you know I'm pretty at ease with with that sort of stuff. I don't, you know, words are words, and and you know if you if you have a good day or a bad day, normally the next day wakes up exactly the same. And uh, you know I'm pretty phlegmatic in that regard. I don't 
I don't really take too much to heart, to be honest, Stephen. Tough times, the Shane Bond incident, incident, would you put that down as your roughest? Yeah, uh, the roughest time, I mean, yeah, I mean, there was the losing streak when the Black Caps were in Asia um, last year, that was pretty tough as well. Um, yeah, Shane was, Shane was difficult, I mean, I, Shane and I have a, a great relationship now, um, I mean, it was really difficult because it came very early in my tenure as CEO and um, it was such a game changer with the formation of a Rebel League um, that I think it was difficult for anyone to really think forward 6, 12, 24 months and understand what the best response was going to be. Uh, <coughs> you know, for a period we um, we clashed and that was, you know, I think we accepted we both had different positions on the issue. Uh, but I think it shows um, such enormous character for Shane um, that, you know, he has definitely let that go. And, and you know, whilst we, um, you know, the relationship was rocky for a, for a short period of time, he has quickly moved on and we we have the utmost respect for each other. Difficult though that New Zealand loses a premier fast bowler for, for 18 months. Do you yeah. feel that you were railroaded by the ICC or the BCCI? No, and that you were the one no, that copped, all, you no. copped the fallout from that? I did cop the fallout for that but I mean I think in hindsight uh, if anything, world cricket needed to be firmer uh, to say that you know no player involved in a Rebel League could have anything to do with international cricket. Now we knew that that was where it was heading, we perhaps didn't get that message out soon enough. Um, you just cannot have these parallel leagues uh, operating within within countries that have their own cricket infrastructure. It's just not a sustainable form of the game. You know, it, it just isn't sustainable. So, look, in hindsight, perhaps we could have, you know, formed that view sooner than we did. In the end, it took us perhaps one or two months, uh, whereas perhaps if it had taken us one or two weeks. Um, you know, it could have just been made a lot less ambiguous. Your replacement, I mean, they say that the, the first role of any CEO is to, to find his <clears throat> successor. Yeah. And New Zealander needs to do the job? I don't think a New Zealander needs to do the job. I think it would be preferable. It is a national sporting organisation and we wear the silver fern with pride and... You know, that means a lot to me. I've played for my country, but just being a New Zealander, it means a lot to me. And I think you've got to be able to capture that, you know, the Kiwiness, the, the national spirit uh, within your organisation if you are a national sporting organisation. So, yeah, I think it would be preferable if it was um, if it was a Kiwi at the helm. I don't, you know, if there was a overseas candidate that was just head and shoulders above everyone else, I think you would need to look seriously at that. What about the future, Justin? Do you, do you see yourself going back to the healthcare sector, do you? Yeah, I do. Uh, the business of healthcare is something which um, I guess I've got a decent experience in and, and I enjoy. I've got a real love for for health. Um, but I've, I guess when I entered the NZC role, I must admit, I saw it as a, I saw it as a one-off. I saw it as, you know, here's a chance to give back to the game, a, a great, you know, d very different role, one that I would never get the chance to do again. Um, 
and felt that I would never, you know, that would be it and I'd be satisfied. I've got to say, now having made the decision to depart, that that a connection to sport or staying involved in sport or re-engaging with sport and the business of sport in future years is something I'd be really interested in. I've so enjoyed my time in ways which I hadn't really expected that, yeah, that I've been bitten, I think, by the bug. And although my next step may be back into the business of health, um, I think in the future, I think I'll certainly be on the lookout for chances to get back into sport. Justin Vaughan, This is Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Joe Porter. The Warriors go into the second National Rugby League semi-final in Melbourne, paying $3 for a win while the Storm are $1.40 favourites. The minor premiers finished the regular season five places ahead of the Warriors, but the Auckland-based side's one of just two teams to beat the Storm at Amy Park. They also posted a massive upset win in Melbourne in the 2008 final series, becoming the first eighth-placed qualifiers to beat the minor premiers. Now they're making yet another trip over the Tasman after upsetting the West Tigers in Sydney and Prop Sam Rapita told Murray Williams the team's in good spirits. We know that this week's going to be a lot different to last week. Obviously playing the top of the table and you know they're there for a reason so boys have been training well but yeah we've just got to turn up on the day and you know just do our best. Now Melbourne, you've, your record against them is pretty much 50-50. I think they're a couple of games ahead of you, but you have a habit of doing quite well over there. Do you talk much about that, or is it, do you look at it and think, well, a lot of us haven't, weren't part of those teams and we're starting from scratch here? Well, it hasn't really been spoken about. Again, it's only sort of writing on paper. If we don't turn up on the day, you know, we're going we're gonna to get smashed, and that's, sort of, that's the bottom line. So we, we have to mentally prepare well and... You know, just want to play good and just want to beat them. I was looking at some stats. Your um, defensive record isn't as good as theirs. What do you do to, to try to unlock a defence as well organised as theirs? Does it come down to that unpredictability that you're noted for or is there other things going on there? Probably anything could say this, but Melbourne being the top of the table, I think sort of mentally you, you prepare just a little bit extra. It, yeah, um, Because they're the best, you know, you want to give your best. So usually... Most teams, I suppose, step up a little bit. You know, difference this week. We just got to, I suppose, just be as good as them and hopefully come on top of them. And tighten up the defence when you've got people like Billy Slater back there. I mean, what do you do with someone like him? How do you shut him down? Well, you just got to try that extra bit harder. You know, close the gaps in defence and just don't let them through. That's 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 all you can do. Yeah. And how much do you think they'll miss Adam Blair? Well, he's a big part of their team, but. You know, they got the likes of Sikamani, who I think is just as good. You know, good ball player. But right across their field, their forwards are pretty skillful. So, you know, they just got to take a little bit, bit more on, I think. You'd have an edge there, I guess, though, in terms of, of bulk and physicality. Would you, would you see that as a, an advantage? Well, I think they're bigger than us. But again, for the pack, it's a good, good chance for us to see how we're going against the best. And I think, you know, they are the best. So... We just want to beat them. Yeah. How much of an advantage do you think that extra week off is to them, or would you rather go in off the back of a good hard game? I'd rather continue playing, but again, different teams, it might be the rest might have done them good. I suppose we're still running on excitement and just the will to you know, want to win. Yeah. Craig Bellamy's saying he wants Amy Park to be pretty much all purple on Saturday night, and he won't have the distraction of AFL finals football because there's no as far as I can see there's no game on yeah, on yeah. Saturday night do you get much support in Melbourne I know you do in Sydney 
Yeah, oh, there's, there's definitely support there, and we definitely hear them. I don't think it's going to be all purple. There'll be some black jumpers out there, so um, and they're always rowdy too, so it always, I suppose, picks the boys up a bit. But again, just it's got to eliminate that and you know concentrate on the footy. How much of a, a help psychologically is it knowing that you do pretty well in Melbourne and that you you had that big upset in 08? Does, do you talk much about that amongst yourselves? And we can pull that off again. Oh, I think there's definitely belief. I think it's more the fact that they're the best, and everyone wants to you know cut the best down. That's every team. You know, if you're the best, you you got to hold your spot. I love playing them just for that reason. You know. And you'll want to send off uh, Lance and, um, and and Ivan, I guess, give them one more crack. Hopefully yeah. in the grand final. That's a, that's a, you know that I think the boys are aware of that too. You know we want to do the best for those boys, and I think they deserve it too. So yeah, we've just got to turn up. It's been a put, I guess, from one extent, your build-up's been a little bit overshadowed by by Manly and, and Brisbane and, and Darren Lockyer. Will he won't he play? And it sounds yeah. like he's not going to. Does it help on the way? I guess to sort of sneak under the radar a wee bit. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think anyone's giving us any chance. So. But that's fine with us. I think we like that position. But yeah, I think the boys like sort of being under the radar, but it just gives us a bit less pressure, I suppose. So, you know, it's all good. And nobody gave you much chance last week, and here you are. Yeah, well, you know, anything's possible, and same again this week. Sam Rapira. The New Zealand tennis number one, Marina Arakovic, was beaten in her first WTA finals appearance at the Bell Challenge in Quebec City this week, but 2011 has been a big step in the right direction for the 23-year-old after a horror 2010 marred by injury. Arakovic entered the season a long way off her career-high singles ranking of 45, but will end it much closer at 63 after a year of solid results. Those included her maiden WTA finals appearance in Canada, and although she came up just short, losing in three sets to Czech Barbara Zelovova-Strakova, Arakovic is feeling more confident about her future than ever before. The tennis season winds up in just over a month, and although admitting she's ready for a break, she says tiredness was no excuse for losing in Quebec. I was feeling the legs a little bit, but then again, you know, uh, I don't think that's really an excuse. I think uh, Baboa plays some very good tennis. You know, she's getting a lot of balls back, and you know, she she drives on the baseline and, and runs a lot of balls down. Um, she's been coming in at some stages, so you know, she's a tricky player. And um, tennis is like that. You have you have a lot of long matches sometimes, and uh, you just gotta go through them and um, you know keep fighting and. Um, you know, I did that this whole week, just uh, fell short in the final, I guess. And Marina, when you talk about the positives, what will, what are the main positives that you will take out of not just this final but this week? Well, I've been, you know, I've been re- working really hard this whole year. I've been trying to get a lot of matches under my belt. Uh, you know, that, that was my goal at the start of the year. And, um, you know, I, I felt like with every match, um, I sort of... I'm beginning to feel comfortable in my game and, um, you know, I have more of a sense of what to do on the court and what my strengths are. And when I go onto the practice court, you know, I really work on that. So I think that that in itself is a, a big positive, just, um, you know, understanding my game and, and feeling comfortable in a match situation to, to play the right way for me. Marina, um, do you think this is a significant step forward or, uh, for your career, even though you did lose the, the final? I think so. I mean, um, I think this whole year has been a step forward for me. I really like this tournament, and I've played it a few times now in, in, in the last couple of years. Um, I didn't do too well, but um, 
think it definitely is, you know, a first final and I feel more comfortable at this level with these players. And, you know, I definitely know I have a game that, you know, can win me a lot of matches. So it's definitely a step forward in the right direction. Marina, what are your plans uh, in the future? What are you looking towards doing next? Uh, right now, I am off tomorrow to Florida to train for a couple of weeks uh, where my coach lives in Boca Raton. Then I head off to Europe on the 4th of October. I play um, two WT events, one in Linz and one in Luxembourg. And then there's 100,000 in France. Um, but uh, see how I go in the next couple and, and maybe, um, maybe I'll call it, a, call it a year. And then, and then I come home. What are your goals going to be for next year then? You know what, uh, I've never really set goals in the sense of, you know, I want to be this ranking or I want to win this tournament or, you know, I I think it's more in the sense of what I want to improve with my game and uh, I want to be uh, better, faster, I want to have a better serve, a faster serve, I want to, you know, get around more back ends and hit big forehands, you know, things like that and, uh, you know, see what, I'll, I will see what my ranking is at the end of the year. And then, you know, I'll, I'll plan out my schedule for the first few months. And um, um, knock on wood, I'm, I'm injury-free and the body's good. So if it stays that way, uh, I think it'll be a good next year as well. Would it be fair to say that your recent performances in particular have, have given you a confidence boost after what was, um, I guess, a disappointing year for you last time around? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, last year was very hard because it was sort of a comeback year for me in a sense. And... Uh, you know, I, I was sort of playing catch-up a lot of the times, and, you know, I, I knew in the back of my mind that I um, I can play great tennis, and I just need to bring it out there, and I think I've done that most of this year. Um, I think there's still heaps of room for improvement, and um, that's exciting. And are you likely to rise a little bit further up the rankings, and a nice bonus from this week? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm not too sure what the ranking will be. you gotta got to check that. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> look, uh, this, is, this is our tour. This is WTA tour and where the tennis uh, players are. So um, I'm, I'm very thrilled that you know, I can play these events and, uh, and keep going from here. And in terms of your motivation, obviously, like you said, it was it was a tough year coming back. But do you, do you feel like you have got the goods to you know push further up and I guess get to a higher place than your career best ranking? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that I can improve from here and then get better and better. I mean, um, I think I'm a very good tennis player. I think I've got a lot of you know big shots that a lot of the other players don't. I mean, when you get to sort of that stage where you're approaching top 50, top 40 or whatever, you know, we can all hit tennis balls, but I think it's more of a mental thing, and I think, you know, if I keep working hard and playing the matches, I definitely have the good to, to be a very, very top player. And the mental side of things has obviously um, reached a different level in terms of your maturity? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I think with, uh, you know, playing more tennis, you gain more experience, um, I definitely think uh, this year has been another learning curve for me. Um, you know, I, I can take a lot of positives, and like I said, it's definitely a big mental game, and I feel I've improved in that sense as well, and I feel like I, I can improve in it a lot more as well. And not long now until you get to enjoy a little small break over the New Zealand summer. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, my mom told me the weather isn't that great still, but hopefully by the time I get there in November, it'll be it'll be heating up. Let's hope. So you're going to just miss out on the World Cup final, hey? You're not quite back in time. Well, if I play that hundred thousand, I won't be back in time. But if I don't, I might be back in time. But we'll, we'll see. That's all a toss-up in the air, really. Marina Rakovic. And that's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz. You can get the latest sports news anytime on our website, while we'll be back with the next web-only Extra Time show next week. I'm Joe Porter. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.